0: From WE First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead With WE, the podcast where top business leaders and founders reveal how they build their companies to be high impact and high growth by putting WE First. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm so excited to talk to Lynn Twist, a friend, a colleague, and also the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance and founder and president of the Soul of Money Institute, someone who is both articulate and insightful about the future role that business must play. So, Lynn, welcome to Lead With We.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Simon.
0: Lynn, you know, we've got to know each other over the last decade, but many of you would welcome the chance to hear a little bit about your journey. All the, you know, from all the time you spent with Mother Teresa all the way through to Buckminster Fuller to the Soul of Money Institute today. So give us a sense of that journey.
1: Wow. Well, that's like my whole life story, so I'll try to condense it a little bit, but (laughs) thank you for asking. Well, I, um, as a young woman, a young mother, I got very deeply engaged with Bucky Fuller, Buckminster Fuller, and learned a great deal from him. And he had a mission of his life to make the world work for everyone with no one and nothing left out. And I kind of took that on myself. I love that phrase, make the world work for everyone with no one and nothing left out. Um, And from there, I began working... um, with something called The Hunger Project, which he was a co-founder of uh, and worked um, all over the world on hunger and poverty, primarily Sub-Saharan Africa, India, Bangladesh, that's where I met Mother Teresa. Um, And that led me to um, meet some of the most extraordinary people on this planet, including having my hands in the dirt with women in Ethiopia after the 1984-85 famine, um, being in war zones after Mozambique's war. And really learning from some of the people that most of us would call poor, but are some of the deepest and most profoundly powerful teachers I've ever had in my life. And so um, that led me to a life of meaning, of making a difference. And then, uh, as you know, I got involved with Indigenous Peoples of the Amazon, a completely different part of my life and a part of the world, I started the Pachamama Alliance. So there's a thousand stories in there, but that's kind of the arc of my life and I'm so grateful for that question.
0: You know, we're all aware of the climate crisis. We hear things about loss of biodiversity and bees. We see the social fabric of our societies breaking down right now. But why is that important to business? Why do you feel that there's an important role for business to play?
1: Well, it's clear to me and I think to everybody listening that business is the most powerful institution on earth. Uh, business is more stable than governments. It's more responsible and responsive to the marketplace and people than governments are or the churches. Other institutions that have really sort of governed and led society have fallen into dysfunction and disarray while business has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger and more powerful. I mean, it is the most powerful institution on earth. Business is also capable of pivoting and making changes way faster than governments or uh, religious groups, uh, or even the, what I call the social profit sector, which is where I work. Um, and so to have business actually take responsibility for making the, uh, the transition, the huge transition that we need to make uh, to end the climate crisis and have a sustainable, socially just, really spiritually fulfilling future for all of life, That's the most powerful place to do the work that needs to be done. And I'm so grateful that you're doing the kind of work you're doing to make business aware of that, more conscious, and play their rightful role in turning the tide right now in history.
0: And I do think it's an opportunity, and it is a responsibility. At the same time, if you're the CEO of a global enterprise, or you're the founder or solopreneur who's wondering, well, that sounds great, and we're aware of the need, But can you help us understand what's in it for those who participate? What benefits have you seen to companies, to startups, to executives, to employees by actually committing to this purposeful role as well as their bottom line profit?
1: Well, I mean, if you look at history, and maybe that's too far back to go, but uh, I remember learning that the East India Company was the largest institution on earth and had more slaves, held more slaves, than any, any company or any country in the world. Right. And when the CEO and president of the East India Company realized that it was time to end slavery and actually freed the slaves in that company, it was the, really the beginning of the turning of the tide for the abolitionist movement, for example. That was a huge moment. I, I actually didn't know that before recently. The same thing is true with Ray Anderson, who has a beautiful... Uh, there's a beautiful story about him. He was the CEO of Interface Carpet. Yep. Uh, and he saw the the error of his own ways, the blindness of business, just profit-making, and, and actually uh, was a, one of the most toxic industries, carpet-making, in the world. And he learned that from his granddaughter. Right. <laughs> and after a conversation with his granddaughter, he redesigned the entire company. I'm sure it was horrendously expensive. But what happened... Uh, they were the number one carpet uh, manufacturer in the world, and they retained that point of of contact and that point of view and that that ranking, and they completely recalibrated the whole manufacturing cycle. They're still the number one carpet-making company in the world, more profitable, more satisfied with their product, people are, and they know that they're benefiting the world, not taking from the environment, but actually they'll be... Um they have a goal, I think by 2020, they may have met it, to be a, a zero emissions company. And everyone is so much happier there
0: no, because, absolutely. They,
1: because they know they're not destroying the earth, but they're actually benefiting people and the planet.
0: And they've actually released you know a net positive product, carpet tiles, that actually draw carbon out of the air. So they're actually exactly. not only doing less harm, they're doing more good. And they've released this tool, this EC3 tool, which allows the entire built industry to reduce its carbon footprint, to pull carbon out of the air. And so this, it's this collaborative exercise. And help us understand, Lynn, you know, on one level, there's this innovation opportunity in terms of being purposeful. But on a human being level, on a citizen level, on a meaning and fulfillment in your life level, what are the risks that we're facing now in our future that we need to pay attention to as these ecosystems, as these living systems break down, which then, you know, really necessitate the business, player role. What are you so concerned about for our future?
1: Well, it's no secret to any of us. In fact, we can feel it in our bodies that the ecosystem is deteriorating and deteriorating and it's happening inside of us. We are part of the ecosystem. So our health crisis, the pandemic, is part of the ecosystem breakdown. It is not um, some horrible, horrible thing. It is is horrible, but it's feedback. You could say that the climate crisis, the pandemic, the breakdown of a lot of the natural systems is not happening to us, it's happening for us to wake up and find our rightful role as a species to live in harmony with all life. And for business to actually realize that, given an enormous power of business, the, the satisfaction, the fulfillment for people who work for a company that's conscious is a completely different ballgame right. than working for a company that's just doing anything and everything to earn a profit. Yes, that's important. But what about a social profit for the people of the company, the customers, and for the world? That's a different kind of business. That's conscious capitalism. That's the kind of company that I think everybody wants to work for and everybody wants to lead.
0: It is. It's so much more fulfilling on so many levels for all of us individually. And I, you know, the shocking thing is this isn't you. I mean, you were, you know, you had the privilege of studying with Buckminster Fuller and tell us a little bit about what he predicted 50 years ago. I mean, he saw this coming. What, what future did he lay out and what did he say in terms of the shifts we need to make?
1: Well, Bucky, <laughs> Bucky said, and it's just amazing to me to re- recall this. Bucky said in 1976, probably before a lot of people here were even born.
0: I was a wee and, little lad there, Lynn, a wee little, little, lad, wee in little Australia, lad in Australia. And
1: I was a young woman. I wasn't a child, but I was a young woman. <laughs> and I heard him uh, speak at a, an event in Marin County, California, where he said that the world community had reached a particular point where we had crossed a threshold from a world of scarce resources where there isn't enough for everyone, where you need to make it at my expense or I need to make it at your expense because there's not enough for both of us, to a world where our innovation, our creativity, our genius was creating more and more with less and less. Right. And that we had crossed a line, a really important line, a threshold, and we're now living, this is in 1976, in a world where you and I can both make it at no one's expense going from a you-or-me paradigm to a you-and-me paradigm is going from a scarcity paradigm to a sufficiency paradigm. And he said that would change everything. But what your question is, he told uh, that audience, and I was in that audience, that it would take 50 years for us to realize this shift from a scarcity paradigm to a sufficiency paradigm. It would take 50 years, which is right around now, Because all the institutions of humankind, business, the economy, governance, education, even religion, is rooted in a you-or-me understanding of the world. And a you-or-me understanding of the world produces a particular structure inside of which we all live with all these institutions. He said they would need to become, they will become, he said in 1976— by in 50 years or so, so dysfunctional that we can't repair them. We need to recreate them from a different paradigm, from a you and me paradigm, a paradigm where everyone everywhere can make it at no one's expense, a paradigm where a world that works for everyone with no one and nothing left out. And that's what's happening right now. I would say that the 2020s, from 2020 to 2030, this decade, is the most critical decade in humankind this is the decade where we need to turn it around and we can and we will and business is the entity that can lead us
0: you know we are seeing a lot of positive signs out there just recently we've seen the u.s rejoin the paris climate accord we've heard from davos the world economic forum this year this commitment to stakeholder capitalism You've heard from the largest hedge fund manager or, you know, money management firm in the world, BlackRock, Larry Fink, saying how we've really got to commit to keeping, you know, climate, the climate emergency at bay and, and the rise in global temperature below two degrees. I mean, all of these signals across the board demonstrate that the business sector, the private sector is waking up. How, help us understand the relationship that you've observed between indigenous people or Aboriginal people around the world and their symbiotic relationship with the natural world, almost as guidelines or signposts for us for how we need to reframe the role of business. Give us some of the key tenets of that.
1: Well, I just love the name of your company, We First, uh, because the real shift that I have seen people have, and I've had it myself, by being with Indigenous people in particular, their highest ethic is the good of the community is the we, is the Ubuntu, they would say in South Africa. Um, That is the highest ethic. And then inside of the community being healthy and well, each individual is healthy and well. Our modern world has sort of trained us or brainwashed us to be all about me, I. We individuate so much that um, we individuate almost at the expense of the community. Um, and that shift from me to we, which is what you teach so brilliantly, is the shift that we need on this planet, is the shift that I've learned from Indigenous people. They do really, like no kidding, think about seven generations forward. Not two generations, not their kids and their grandkids. No, seven generations forward, people that they will never, ever, ever know. That's an extraordinary extraordinary way to think, it does change the very nature of the way you live. And I've learned that the choices we make, I've learned from them, the choices that you and I and everybody on this, this program make impact the future of life for 1,000 years, every decision and choice we make. Now, that could sound like a burden, but it actually ennobles your life and gives your life a kind of meaning and integrity that we all crave. And it's, it's, it's from there that we need to find our transformation, and hanging out with indigenous people has done it for me, and I recommend it highly. I want you to come to the Amazon, and everybody else here. <laughs>
0: we'll, well, we'll all, uh, you know, benefit so much if we if we get that opportunity, and and you know, everything that we're doing is already underway. Every business, large or small, is already midstream. So you know, in as much as nature is our teacher, indigenous people are its students, and we have a lot to learn. If you're a young company that's already out of the gate, or if you're a very large company with a lot of investments and a lot of, you know, employees to take care of and a lot of customers to serve, what might you suggest is where someone can start if they wanted to transition? You mentioned define your purpose, but then what do you do next? Do you look at your supply chain and say, are we doing you know, more harm than we should? Can we do more good? Do you look at your culture inside the company? Do you sort of reimagine the type of products you make outright? What would you suggest? Uh, Yes. (laughs) All (laughs) All of the above.
1: (laughs) All of the above. And I know it's really hard to do that, but what's at stake is everything. What's at stake is life. I want to just say that I want to recommend that, um, you know, just a few days ago I watched uh, Sixty Minutes and Bill Gates, the wealthiest of the second now wealthiest man on this planet, um, is taking on climate change with everything he has. And he has a lot, a lot of brain power, a lot of people, a lot of money, a lot of everything, a lot of power. And he said, We're gonna need to change absolutely everything about the way we live, and we're gonna have to do it fast. And he his his his, I was so happy to hear that. I've met with that man. I love that guy. I know he, everybody who respects him. And that he's taken it on at this level is, is mind-boggling to me. He really gets what's required. It's not a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's transforming absolutely everything. And that is really the job. And brave and bold and great leaders are the ones who are going to make that happen, the kind of people who are listening to this program. If they're If they're drawn to this, people out there. If you're drawn to this, you are who we've been waiting for, for the world to 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 transform. We really need a transformation, not just a change. So the Trillion Tree Project, for example, out of Davos, that's huge. That's an example of a a program that's of the magnitude that's needed now to, to, to change the game.
0: I think it's so instructive that Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, Bill Gates, not far, well, actually a fair way behind him now, they're both, <laughs> with all the abundance that they have or the wealth that they have, they have realized, really prioritized this. And you know, when you've met so many sort of well-known and successful people over the years. And one thing that I've observed in the people I've met is that no matter how much wealth they have, at some point they realize that fulfillment is an inside job. It's not an outside in where you get more and you get affirmation and you buy stuff, but rather what you give of yourself to others is what fills you up by how you give of yourself, you know, the service you are to others. And I think this is a really powerful idea as to what true wealth is, as opposed to the amount of money that you have. And so, you know, how would you challenge us to reframe these very, very common, but often just assumptive terms like success, wealth, money, prosperity, abundance. How should we think about these terms differently?
1: Oh, well, there's a whole book about that that I, be- <laughs> I It's called <laughs> I could The, soul, Say a of few the about soul of Money, The Soul of Money, I believe. <laughs> highly highly <laughs> recommend to everyone. So, so let me see if I give a 2-minute synopsis of my book. Um, well, first of all, the word wealth uh, comes from the etymology of the word wealth, comes from well-being. That's the etymology of that word. It's not really about money. And the etymology of well-being is, comes from the well of being, the well of being. I mean, isn't
0: that incredible? I mean that's amazing. That, and I'd never I've used well-being my entire life, and I did not know that till right now, but it makes so much sense and it's right in front of us, right?
1: Yeah, if you just think about the well of being that's endless and infinite, that's in you, that's in me, that's the true source of prosperity. And the well of being is overflowing constantly. It's like a spring. Uh, so there's always, always enough, not more, 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 more that needs to be accumulated. There's enough from the get-go because it's source. Source is different. It doesn't have an amount. Um, you know, it's about flow rather than amount, which is the whole thing I could talk about a little bit more in my book. But um, so flow is very different than amount. And the, you could say that money was invented 4,500 years ago by cultures, by you know, our ancestors, to facilitate the sharing of goods and resources so that everybody would have what they wanted and needed. It was all about letting things flow to where things were needed. And, you know, money doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to all of us or none of us. It just moves around. That's why it's called a currency. It's a current. It is like water. Uh, it's, It's a carrier. It's not the point. It's carry, it carries, it can carry commitment, it can carry love, it can carry courage, it can carry grace, it can also carry disease, it can carry toxicity, but money and water are innocent. It's how we use them and what our intentions are.
0: Let me ask you this, you know, a CEO might have an experience with you in the Amazon or an executive, and then they come back to their office or an entrepreneur. And then they've got to share it with their team. And this is a powerful shift in mindset, which has a lot of consequences for them. So if somebody wants to commit to this area, you know, to this approach, to this mindset, to this reprioritization as to what's important in their life, how do they communicate that? What have you seen in terms of how you move your company, your culture, the team that you've built to join you in this effort? How do you share it effectively?
1: Oh my goodness, that's a tough question. But let me, I'll just tell a couple stories. Um, first of all, stories are really powerful and probably teach and shift people more than anything. Um, so people who return from the rainforest into the belly of their beast, whatever company it is, often start by sharing their own transformation, vulnerably, authentically, uh, and without guile. Um, and that's the beginning of, of, of the transformation being transmitted. It's a transmission. The shamans that we work with in the rainforest and the elders, they say that every person that comes there and has the kind of encounter that, that I want you to have and that I've had, impacts a thousand people within the next year by their just being, without even saying anything, by the way they are the the um, inauthenticity that falls away, the heart that becomes more visible and available, the soulfulness with which they start to see the world, and it changes their way of communicating, their way of acting, their way of seeing the world, and people notice it, and they begin falling into that aura, that space. I remember a time I was walking behind a shaman in Zappara territory, a man named Minari, And we were walking quietly in the forest. It was just he and I, and he had a machete, and he was cutting the path. There wasn't a path. And this is just intense uh, rainforest jungle. And at a certain point, he stopped, and he turned around, and I looked around, and I didn't know what he was looking at. I thought maybe there was a jaguar coming at us or something. He turned around, and he said to me, Do you feel them? Do you feel them? And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I looked around and I said, what do you mean? He said, there's a million souls all around us right now. Do you feel the millions and millions of souls? And in that moment, I felt them. I felt the soul of the trees, the leaves, the ants, the snakes, the bugs. I felt the soul of every living thousands of species that were around us for him they have a soul and until he said that i was you know swatting mosquitoes trying to get the branches to not hit me in the face after that one moment the way i walked through the forest changed forever and it changed the way i walk through life it almost makes me cry to tell you this
0: right
1: and it's that kind of experience that changes the way one behaves in the world and people see that they're Actions speak way louder than their words. Then, of course, there's the Pachamama Alliance courses, which are online, which you can have your your lead leadership teams take. You can get involved with Conscious Capitalism, learn the four pillars of Conscious Capitalism. You can get involved with B Corp. There's all kinds of training programs and consultants and supports. They, they can work with you, Simon. So there's many, many ways to... Not just share the experience, but help with any kind of transmission and then conversion. But what I really want to say is when you have a transformation, the way to transmit it is to tell stories, is to talk about what you love, is to share your passion. And from there, um, the, the being sphere, I'll say, around you starts to shift. And then people step into a different space.
0: You know, I will say, I will say growing up in Australia, in Sydney, where you, they give you a stick and a rock and you go out into the bush and you're barefoot, you really, not to overstate it, but you really are connected to nature. And I grew up in the water and the beaches in Sydney. And as I've now lived for 25 years in different places around the world, away from Sydney, I am so mindful of how connected you are to nature, in that environment it is yeah. the only thing you do is go outdoors and what happens for the next 10 hours you come back to your mum and dad and god knows what <laughs> you've done but you know it is it, it's a way of being where you're you know you're really deeply connected to nature and i think everybody knows what we're talking about here in those quiet moments of reflection where you go i don't want to be rich for rich sake i want to be happy and when i'm on the commute home from work or when i'm sitting looking at a sunset on the beach or when I'm watching my kids in the backyard, especially during COVID, you do reflect on what's important in your life. And the type of things that you are talking about are common to us all. They're innate within all of us. And I think there's this incredibly powerful opportunity for business to embrace that and to redefine the role it plays in rewriting our future in the service of the collective, both the living systems and also you know, the human ecosystems so that we can all have a future that we can be excited about not just for ourselves but for our kids i want to say lynn you know thank you so much i've i've sort of listened to you and learned from you for a a decade and i so appreciate your leadership and how expansive your heart is and how you're helping us understand the transformation you're talking about is possible within all of us and, you know, without your leadership, it would not have been possible for so many people. And then, as you say, the knock-on effect of those people to others. So just huge gratitude, huge respect. And just thank you for sharing your, your insights today.
1: Thank you so much, Simon. And thank you for the, all the people who put this program together. This is what people need. They crave it. And you're delivering it. God bless you all. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Lead With We, where I had the privilege of chatting with Lynn Twist, who shared with us how to better understand the role of money in our lives, and how business can rewrite our future, and how together we can develop a healthy and sustainable approach to the natural world. Our show was produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can find out more information about Lynn's work in the show notes of this episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues so they too can build purposeful and profitable businesses. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at WeFirstTV. And if you'd like to learn more about purposeful branding, check out wefirstbranding.com, where we have lots of free resources and case studies. I'll see you on the next episode, and until then, let's all lead with we.